Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett coming to you on the Friday broadcast. I love Fridays. I think it's my second favorite day of the week, second only to Sunday. And as we get close to Sunday, I want to encourage you, as I do every Friday, go to church on Sunday. Listen, you are such a blessing to your pastor. You are a blessing to the members of your church. I think you're also a blessing to the community. You know, my neighbor came to church last Sunday. I was so excited that she came, and uh, I wasn't even there. And uh, she came, and she worshiped with us, and I was so glad to have our neighbor coming to worship together. Now, listen, I want you to know that there are 66 million Americans who recently responded to a survey, and this is what they said. 66 million Americans said, I would go to church if somebody would just invite me. Well, I invited my neighbor a couple weeks ago. They just moved in, and and, uh, lo and behold, they came to church. Uh, So if you invite people to go to church, they will come to church with you. And listen, sometimes you want to encourage them by saying, listen, I'll take you out to dinner after church, or I will meet you at church, because many times I think we forget how daunting it can be to go to a church for, for the first time. I was in the Outer Banks not too long ago doing a wedding, and uh, we visited another church because uh, I was down there over the weekend, and so I got somebody to cover uh, at my church, and then I went to a church in the Outer Banks, had a great time of worship, and uh, you know, it felt awkward going into church, a a new church where I didn't know anybody, and uh, it felt a little different, it felt a little strange, and uh, as I entered into that church, I, I, I just started saying hi to everybody, started talking to everybody. And, uh, but most people aren't like that. Most people are not going to be that outgoing uh, when they visit a church. They're kind of scary to go into a new church. And so invite somebody to church and then invite them to be uh, and, and encourage them to meet your friends and meet other people in the church. And connection is the power that keeps people in a church. So today, uh, I want to talk to you about joy. And I want to talk to you how to live your life with joy undiminished. It seems like many of us are up and down, right? We're kind of schizophrenic when it comes to our joy. We're happy one day and not so happy the next day. As a matter of fact, sometimes that happens instantaneously, right? I'm really happy right now. Five seconds from now, I might not be so happy. I want you to know that one of the things that diminishes our joy is a critical spirit. You know, I develop a critical spirit when I'm not serving, when I let my guard down, when I'm not praying enough. The enemy will try to to limit my time in praying because he knows that our prayers limit him. When I take my eyes off Jesus, when my faith is diminished, I lose joy. You know, the most disturbing things come to our lives, and they can rob us of our joy. But they don't have to. And this is such an important thing to remember. We don't have to lose our joy just because things don't go well. Today, I want to look at Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, we see rejoicing taking place in the most unusual circumstance. Things are not going well, but their church is still rejoicing. Verse 41, Acts 5. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Why are they rejoicing? Because they have been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name. That's the name of Christ. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. As you think about it, if your joy is based upon your circumstances, your joy will constantly be going up, constantly going down. 
In 2013, the Gerber baby was just named as the baby of the year. America's cutest baby. This baby was a baby named Lucas Warren. His family raised little Lucas, and he's a cute little boy, but is a baby that has Down syndrome. He is dressed up in his Sunday best, ready to go to church, and his mom snapped the picture and submitted his picture to the, to the Gerber baby contest, and he won. Now, as you think about the happiest people in the world, they say that those who battle Down syndrome are the happiest people in the world. This is amazing to me to think about that. They have so many things going against them, but yet they're filled with joy. You see, joy can be greater than anything going wrong in your life. In the first 300 years of Christianity, there were 10 systematic persecutions against the early church. The first 100 years of that history, they were coming against the church so great and so powerful, you would think that the church would have diminished. For the first 100 of the first 300 years of the church history, Christianity was illegal. Persecution was so very much a part of Christianity, it is actually one of the reasons that the church grew. One of the church early fathers, Tertullian, wrote, The blood of Christians is seed. And this blood is that the more you kill them, the more they grow. One of the principles that we must understand when we're facing danger is that our society worships stars instead of honoring heroes. Stars are surrounded by the crowds and they, they're, they're giving into interest and, and they're giving into the advice of, of focus groups. Heroes do what is right and often do it alone as they go above and beyond what they are called to do. The Congressional Medal of Honor is given to those who go above the call of duty. When you face danger, you are brave because you chose to do it voluntarily. The things that could rob us of joy, the things that rob the early church of joy, are things that many times we miss. I want you to know that when you are filled with joy, that joy is greater than the opposition that comes against us. Let's talk about some of the areas that will cause us to lose joy, but doesn't necessarily have to cause us to lose joy. If we see it for what it is, our joy will stay intact because joy is greater than these things that are coming against us. Let's look at a couple of them. Number one is hypocrisy. So many times people say, well, I would have joy, and I joyfully go to church, but the church is filled with hypocrites, right? Hypocrisy in the church. Now, hypocrisy in the church is that the church has become filled with a double standard. Hypocrisy is actually a noun, and it means that you claim to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. When we think about hypocrisy in the church, this is nothing new in the church. Peter said to Ananias, How has Satan filled you in your heart so that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Here we discover early in the church history, we already find hypocrisy. I mean, the church is just formulated. The church is just a few years old, and all of a sudden we discover Ananias and Sapphira are in this church, and they are filled with deceit, and they tell everybody at the church, that we sold our piece of property, and we're giving all the proceeds to the church. In reality, they held back much. They lied to the Holy Spirit. 
So here we discover that the church has got hypocrites in it in the very early stages of the church. Jesus talked about hypocrisy. He said in Matthew chapter 7, 5, he says, You hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. Now I want you to know, hypocrisy is proof that we are depraved. We can't even live up to our own beliefs, our own standards of righteousness. As you think about hypocrisy within the church, I want you to know the church is indeed filled with hypocrisies. Well, so isn't Walmart, and so isn't our government, uh, so isn't every part of our job, so isn't our families. Uh, We are just a bunch of hypocrites. That's the bottom line. And we look at Ananias and Sapphira. Peter predicts that this is going to happen. Peter predicts that his wife is going to die. Peter makes this prediction that there's going to be hypocrisy within the church. I want to encourage you today. If you are a person that is always looking within, you're going to be greatly discouraged. When we look at the early church, the early church battled with hypocrisy. In his book, The Great Divorce, written by C.S. Lewis, he talks about the fact that our God is a God of justice, and he brings about justice on his timetable and in his way. Using God to build a reputation for themselves is a source of superiority. Grace freed them to let God be the God of everything. They were too afraid to see everything. They lacked everything. To overcome hypocrisy, you must first deal with your own issues. The more consumed we become with the hypocrisy of others, the more hypocritical we become. Refusing to forgive the hypocrite is an indictment upon ourselves. Masking over our own shortcomings while attempting to unmask the shortcomings of others is actually a form of hypocrisy. That's why Jesus said, You who are without sin cast the first stone. They ended up killing Jesus over this very statement. In 1 Corinthians 9.27 it says, Now I strike a blow to my body and I make it slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You say, well, what do we do in handling hypocrisy? First and foremost, we deal with the hypocrisy within our own lives. And that's what Jesus commanded us to do. First, get that big old beam out of your own eyes. Then you can see to remove the speck in your brother's eyes. Hypocrisy will not rob us of our joy when we deal with the hypocrisy in our own lives first. There's a second thing that will cause us to lose our joy, and that is fear or complacency. As we go back to our text, we look in verse number two. It says that the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Why was nobody else joining them? There was this fear. There was this complacency. You know, overcome complacency. We are instructed by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that those who are rich in this present day, and that's those of us who are listening to this broadcast, we are rich in this present age, in this present world, that we should not be conceited or fix our hope on uncertainty, but on God, who supplies for every need that we have. Paul says, instruct them that are rich to be rich in good works 
and to be generous and to be ready to share, storing up for themselves treasures of a good foundation for the future so that it may take hold to that which life is indeed giving. What is Paul trying to instruct us here? To fight fear, to fight complacency. In our times of prosperity, we must be giving. We must instruct others. We must give good works to others. We must be generous to others. And Paul says that we're storing up for ourselves treasures, which is a good foundation for the future. To fight complacency, we must give out of the generosity that God has given to us. By doing that, it eradicates fear because we're trusting God to take care of our needs. It also gives us this foundation for the future. Did you know that you are building in today for what's going to happen in your life tomorrow? There are either seeds of blessing in your life or there are seeds of destruction in your life. Which seed are you planting right now? By being generous, you are planting in your life that foundation that you can overcome the worst of times in the future. It all depends on how we're giving today. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Paul says, you know, I have much to say about this. And, And he's talking about those who are dull of hearing. He says, I can't explain everything to you because you become complacent. He says, you ought to be a teacher, but instead you need somebody to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. So fear of responsibility can be a major joy stealer in our lives. Fear of serving the Lord leads to a life of complacency. We are complacent about how we are living our lives. In Luke chapter 12, we are told our man here, a rich man, he has many things and he has many goods laid up for the future. And he says, I just want to eat, drink and be married because tomorrow I'm going to die. As you think about that, that's how many people are living their lives today. You know, there's nothing concealed that one day will not be disclosed or nothing that is hidden that one day will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear and the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, and this is Jesus speaking, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I tell you that you ought to be afraid of him who can take not only your physical body, but also your spiritual body and throw it into hell. Yes, I tell you to fear him. As we think about joy, joy does not come from the absence of responsibility. Joy comes when we realize that we have this transparency in our lives and how we are living our lives. Well, we talked about what can steal our joy, but it doesn't have to steal our joy. Hypocrisy is one. The enemy would love to get you looking at the hypocrites within the church and saying, oh, look at what they're doing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remove myself from that person because of how they're living our, their lives. And, and lo and behold, we become just like them. The fear of complacency. The fear of, of, of persecution can rob us of our joy, but it doesn't have to. Number three, the fear of jealousy. Jealousy can rob us of our joy. You know, when the high priest and they, they were gathered together and they were coming against Jesus, they were members of the party of the Sadducees, and Jesus said they were filled with jealousy. Why did they want to take the life of Christ? Because Christ, in their opinion, was robbing joy from their lives, robbing that praise of man from their lives. 
and they were filled with jealousy. You know, jealousy has been called that one-eyed monster. In Job, it says that envy and jealousy can have some serious consequences. Scripture tells us that envy can slay the simple-minded. We learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that envy and jealousy are the things that characterize the world. Solomon said that envy and jealousy can cause a whole host of internal problems in our lives. And then Peter said this about jealousy, and God tells us through the Apostle Peter that we're to rid ourselves of jealousy and of envy. We're told in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. We're told in that same verse in the English Standard Version, we don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. I want to encourage you today. Do not let jealousy drive you. It will rob you of your joy. There's an ancient Greek legend. An ancient Greek legend that sets the stage in which we confront and we learn to tackle the joy stealer called jealousy. It seems there was a young Greek athlete who ran in a race and placed second. In honor of the winner, the villager would place a a large statue of the athlete in the town square. And as you might imagine, the second-place runner was attacked by envy and jealousy. He struggled with those joy stealers to the point where he made plans to destroy the statue. One night, after dark, he went out and he chopped away at the foundation of the statue, expecting it to fall on its own someday. One night, however, as he chipped away too much, the statue was weakened and the base began to crack and it fell on top of him. He died under the crushing weight of the person that he had become to despise. But the truth is, he died a long time before the statue fell on him. In reality, he chose to live with envy and jealousy began to govern his life. He became a slave to the joy stealer of jealousy. Listen, if you can eradicate jealousy from your life, you will be filled with joy. Well, we talked about things that can steal joy from our lives. Hypocrisy, fear, jealousy. All these things can steal joy from our lives, but they don't have to. We can overcome them realizing that God has supplied all of my needs. Well, there's a fourth point that we got to look at, and that is the guilt or the guilt of responsibility, can actually rob us of joy. The apostles were brought in and they appeared before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. The high priest said, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You know, there are times that people try to avoid personal responsibility. And usually at that time is when we do the blame shifting. Adam tried to blame Eve for his sin. Cain tried to dodge responsibility for his sin. Even Pilate attempted to absolve his guilt in the matter of the crucifixion of Christ when he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. He said, it is your responsibility and throws it back on the people. Ultimately, attempts to pass the buck are futile. You may be sure that your sin will find you out. 
You see, each one of us has a personal responsibility to repent and to believe the good news, and then to give glory to God with good works. We are told in Ephesians that when we do this, we receive joy. We're also told that if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. Life comes from having the Son, the Son of Jesus Christ. We receive Him when we repent of our sins and receive that free gift of salvation. The Bible talks about guilt. There are basically two kinds of guilt. There's godly sorrow that leads a person to repentance. That is known as conviction. Guilt that leads to conviction of our sins. That is given to us by the Holy Spirit. We are told when the Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin. You know, once a person repents, that guilt is lifted. They feel relieved. They feel the joy that comes from having their sins forgiven. But there's another kind of guilt. The second kind of guilt is not conviction of our sins. The second kind of guilt is that condemnation that we experience. Condemnation or the accusation from the devil. You know, Satan loves to torment God's people by reminding them of their past and to continue holding your sins against them. We ought to remind Satan that we are forgiven. Reminding Satan that he can remind us of our past, but we can remind him of his future. You know, when we're driven by condemnation, it tears us down. It makes us feel dirty, makes us feel unworthy, robs us of our faith and our confidence in Jesus Christ. You see, it's a lie from the enemy that we are condemned. The Bible says very clearly, for those who know Christ, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I think somebody needs to hear that today. Realizing that God has set you free from the consequences of your sins You are no longer under condemnation. You are free. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, there's a fifth thing that will attempt to rob us of our joy. We've talked about hypocrisy. We've talked about fear. We've talked about jealousy. We've talked about guilt. Hostility of this world can rob us of our joy. It says when they heard this, they were furious and they wanted to put us to death. I learned that there is a National Religious Freedom Day. Each year, National Religious Freedom Day is celebrated on January the 16th. Each year, by presidential proclamation, January 16th is declared Religious Freedom Day. Thomas Jefferson's landmark statue became the basis for Congressman Fisher aims to establish the clause in the First Amendment of the United States Constitution that says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The First Freedom Center in Richmond, Virginia, commemorates this day by holding an annual First Freedom Award Banquet. The statute guarantees the fundamental freedom to openly practice one's faith without fear of being harassed, jailed, or killed. Additionally, under this statute, each person may freely change their religion without retribution. In the United States, people of different faith groups have equal rights to practice their own religion. Around the world, religious restrictions continue to rise. 
According to the Pew Research, legislation, attitudes, and policies are rising globally in the last decade. Even those countries usually considered restrictive are increasing their limitations. When looking at the countless countries that have the lack of religious freedom, they show that a change of policy is a change that is now not only affecting foreign countries, but also affecting us here in the United States. Social hostilities involving religious groups have soared throughout the United States and throughout the world. But I want you to know, our joy is found in the Lord. Not whether or not our religious freedoms are restricted. Now don't take me wrong. We ought to fight for religious freedom and we ought to fight with every ounce of our being. But as we lose freedoms, our freedom or our our joy is not based upon these freedoms. Our joy comes from the Lord. How do you have this joy overflowing? Submit to God. Serve God. Peter and the other apostles cried out, We must obey God rather than human beings. Their joy came from the Lord. They also served God in the temple courts, going from house to house. They never stopped teaching. They never stopped proclaiming the good news of Jesus the Messiah. I want you to know you can walk in joy today. As you walk in joy, bringing sunshine into the lives of others, you will have that sunshine flowing and penetrating the culture. Well, thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. I pray that your weekend is filled with joy. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.